Ladies and gentlemen, now it's too late with Alan Mosley. Guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley. I don't even know who I am. I don't even know who I am. (laughs) Joined this week, not by the number one producer in late night, but I mean... This is this is your second week in a row, so you're definitely tied. You're you're one B, <laughs> not one A, but one B. It's Sherry Voluntary, Sherry. This so this is like your hour visitation from Twitmo, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I'm getting. I I am behind the glass actually, so I feel like it is. So we're the the topic for later in the program is going to be uh, social media and censorship and all that stuff. But we're we, we we like to start the show with the fun stuff because that's when all the viewers are actually online watching the show. <laughs> and then and then when we're done with the viewer mail, everybody leaves. So we'll we'll get sure. to that later. So since it's the beginning of the show, and since all the viewers are here, let's start off with our important announcements, which is the live event, folks. It'll be here before you know it. So, so we are like two months and a week away from the It's Too Late 2021 live show that is March 20th of this year. March, good God. Right. March 20th. It's actually going to be at the studios right here in Southern Middle Tennessee. You are absolutely all invited to attend, but you got to get a ticket where you can come and meet uh, all sorts of like-minded Liberty individuals. Uh, uh, very much like this one right there. Sherry Voluntary will be there. I mean, frankly, at this point, it's the only way you can communicate with Sherry because Sherry can't talk on the internet anymore. Yes, correct. (laughs) Correct. So so if you want to get caught up on Sherry's memes and what she thinks about this week's breakfast, you got to come to cops. Yeah, that's right. People just don't know. Yeah, you got to come to the It's Too Late 2021 live show, which is March 20th of this year just a couple of months away. You can go to alamosley.tv and go to the events section and that'll lead you to it. Or you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TV. click on events. It is there as well. Um, we had an awesome time last year. I mean, it was yeah. last, so, so this past year, it was right kind of at the onset of all the Rona stuff, but <sighs> the real libertarians like me and Sherry were still there and, and we had a great time. Uh, yes. And you know, I've become single since then, and it's probably because of this one event. Wow. <laughs> what are you trying to say? What does that Saying. mean? Yeah. All right. Saying. Be brave. Well, well, <laughs> on that, yeah, you got to be brave. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I went over this before. I'll say it again. I don't blame any of the people who were going to attend last year who didn't come because they didn't know about travel restrictions and what the virus was going to entail. I don't, I don't hold that against any of you much, but you can, (laughs) you can make up for it by attending this year. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. It's Uh, it's easy to forgive when we didn't know, but now we know. Yeah. But now we know. Um, speaking of now we know in, in political science theater 3000, I literally just saw this. So this is going on as we're recording today's episodes. I, by the time this airs there, there may have been something come of this, but Sherry, the house is evaluating impeachment of Donald Trump for a second time, mere days before he leaves office anyway. I mean, isn't that For like sec- the definition of government to be this ineffective? And like, well, I, I saw I saw people pointing out, like, you know, I mean, we're not we're not all for government handouts on on this program, but uh, but we but I saw people talking about the fact that you know it took them like six months to go from 
you know, we, we really need another stimulus to actually address some of the financial concerns of everyday people and, mm. and unemployment and stuff like that. Um, as opposed to just more pork barrel spending, which was what the majority of the first stimulus was back in like April. Yes. It took them like six months to get around to that, but it took them just days to go from, I don't like that rally to let's impeach the president. Like, boom, it didn't take that long. So, so it's, 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 we, so we know, like, if that's evidence of anything, we know it doesn't mean that Congress can't operate swiftly and efficiently. It's that they just don't want to. Exactly. I mean, why, why be efficient when you can be in government? Like, yeah, exactly. Uh, one, one last little bit before we get ready for our first commercial break, Sherry. Yes. We, we like to have one pop culture reference in every monologue. I think the last, one of the times that you were on the program recently, uh, it's been some months now, or, or maybe it was on postcards. I don't remember. I know that we've, we've talked about some shows. We've talked about Castlevania. We've talked about, uh, Altered Carbon and we've talked about specifically, um, looking for for new and inventive programming on your platform of choice, net, you know, Netflix, TV, whatever. Right. Um, but what we often get, both on the big screen and the silver screen, are remakes. We get just this never-ending trail of remakes and reboots. I know, right? Yeah. And the most the most recent one. Are you ready for it? I- I hope so. <laughs> They're remaking Walker, Texas Ranger. What? What? Yes. But Walker... why though? <laughs> why though? <laughs> so Walker, Texas Ranger remake with Jared Padalecki. That's the guy on the right. I, he was Dean in Gilmore Girls. And I think he was on some vampire show or something on the CW. So the CW, by the way, is, is who's, who's bringing back Walker, Texas Ranger. And it's going to be, it's going to be that douche canoe on the right is the new Walker. So, so take a look at that right there, Sherry. First, first of all, before we get, by the way, there are trailers. The only reason I'm not playing the trailer is because YouTube likes to give the, the old red flag when you, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's fair use because we're commentating over it, but in care. order, they, they don't care. You have to fight the man just to assert that it is fair use. I don't, I don't really feel like doing that. But for folks at home, you can go check out the trailer. It's, it's just, first of all, it's way over the top dramatic. And it's, it's not, by any sense, it's not going to be the same show. But, but So the first thing I want to ask you is, is that does that guy look like Walker, Texas Ranger to you? And the second question I have is, is that if it is more of a CW over the top, you know, drama soap opera, but that's not Walker, Texas Ranger though, right? No, correct. That is not, I I mean, (laughs) I was never a huge Walker, Texas Ranger fan in the first place, but you know, I think I'd like, you know, anyone who really places Chuck Norris to not look like they wear a man bun all the time. (laughs) I just don't see it. I don't see it. Sorry. Well, the the thing is the, I mean, so I, again, spoiler, I I've seen the trailer and like he, he based on what I saw, it's, you know, he's going to have like an overarching theme of either his wife or girlfriend or someone he couldn't save. So he's haunted by the past. And, and I think maybe he's got a drinking yeah. problem. And so inventive and new. I've never heard I, that story before. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's, it's really breaking fresh ground. Right. 
but I, but I I saw other people commenting on the video, and it's not just us. I saw a lot of people just making the fact that well, for one, why I mean, this doesn't need a remake, and two, what what it was like it it was hokey, right? It was hokey, and you had diabetes guy, <laughs> and and you had the roundhouse kicks, like every 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 officer you know, suspect engagement was him roundhouse kicking someone to the dome piece. And while that's all hokey and retarded, but that's, but that was the show though, right? Like that, that was part of the identity. And, and then, and then Chuck Norris himself, right? The fact that it was very much, you don't think of Walker, Texas Ranger. You think of Chuck Norris, right? You think of, he is, he is Walker, Texas Ranger. I I just can't wait to see like that. Remember that uh, Hercules show? With yeah. with like Jonathan Lipnicki as the new Hercules or something like something it's weird. it's so it's so funny that you mentioned that because when I first saw the headline and I saw saw this guy uh, Jared Padlecki I thought it was Jonathan Lipnicki <laughs> and I was like how in God's name right? is he gonna be <laughs> I did I, that's what I actually I actually confused the how two people how did he people. grow facial hair <laughs> right. I don't know man I it's it's like you know. Just all the creatives in Hollywood. Why do we call them creatives anymore? Because they don't like they, yeah. they take all the charm away from like, I didn't watch the show initially, but you know, at a certain time and place, there's something weird that can be charming for that time. And then when they remake it, they just remove all that charm and put in something else. And it's not good. I just want to say this before we go to the commercial break, by the way, you know how sometimes like on your birthday, people will look up on Google, like who, you know, what celebrities have the same birthday as you right. or whatever. Wilford Brimley. <gasps> really? You know who one of mine is? Who? The kid from who's the boss? Not, not Alyssa Milano, our, our lovely Alyssa Milano, but uh, the, the kid that was the boy that lived at Judith Light's house, her son, whoever huh. that is. That is very random. Lucky me. <laughs> I, I, my, mine is Wilford Brimley and Avril Lavigne because me, <laughs> Wilford Brimley and Avril Lavigne. I mean, have you seen all of us in the same place at the same time? I have not. And that is very suspicious to me. I know you're Canadian. We'll, we'll be right back after this break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Hey, uh, hey, Sherry. Yes? What time is it? It's time for Meme of the Week! The invention of glue. I bet if we melt a horse, we could use it to stick stuff to other stuff. Dude, is everything okay at home? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... That's if 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 we don't try, we won't know. <laughs> can you imagine the, the poor people at home who 
Like maybe, maybe they're, they fancy themselves a member of the Liberty community. And they're like, I heard, I heard of this guy, Alan, Mo- he was on, I was on Lions of Liberty this past Monday. Like I, I heard this guy, Alan Mosley on Lions of Liberty. I want to go check out a show. And this is what they're seeing right now. Look, it's about glue. <laughs> like what, what's even going on? I don't know if that meme was that funny or I just really needed a laugh so badly because the world is burning. <laughs> it was good. I well, that, that was, so this, this was a week that I felt like we needed a meme that was just con- completely separated from the madness in the world. <laughs> uh, you want to answer some viewer mail? Sure. Let's do it. No, <laughs> go away. All right. Uh, We're going to start with Lyle Durio, who writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, if a broken clock is right twice a day, is a working clock in Europe wrong for half the day? That sounds like too much like math for me to answer. I feel like this is Lyle trying to complete compete with Andrew Avery. (laughs) What? So what is it about me? that has led people to believe that I welcome their pun war in my viewer mail. <laughs> like, is like, did I, have I given that impression to you? You better choose a side and choose it quick, son. <laughs> the pun wars have begun. <laughs> uh, Daniel Blanchett writes, dear Alan and Sherry, uh, which do you support terrorism or deplatforming liberals like Ron Paul? <laughs> So we're going to, we're going to actually, we're going to, we're going to address that in the next two segments. So I, I kind of want to, I want to save our serious comments from then for then, because the viewer mail is for fun time. It's not for serious comments, but, um, you wouldn't know anything about being deplatformed, would you, Sherry? Not a clue. <laughs> Adam Sikosin writes, dear Alan and Sherry, have you ever ridden in a hot air balloon? Sherry, have you ever ridden in a hot air balloon? Not that I can recall. But you've been on some benders where you were several stories in the air and don't know how you got there. Is that what you're trying yes, to say? Yes, and I've known okay. some politicians, so. Okay. So, okay. So, story time. Here we go. Uh-oh. So, I, you, now you know I'm engaged to the official fiancé of It's Too Late, uh, the dear AK. Yes. And if you were, by the way, if you were at episode 100 last year at our live event, you would have, you would have seen all that go down. Foxy lady. All, all sorts of cool stuff. So here's the thing. My original idea, I, this is, this is, this is, you're just getting into, this is a glimpse into the world of Alan Mosley <laughs> away from, away from this. So my original idea of how I was going to propose was I, I had the ring, like, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a shock, like she knew and, you know, like, like far be it for me to leave open the door that she could say, ugh. Oh, thank you. I didn't, I didn't, I I knew she would say it. So anyway, I was going to take her like on a hot air balloon ride and I was going to propose off the earth as it were. And on the wings of love. I mean, sure. On on the, on, on the hot air of love. And, um, (laughs) and I didn't do that. I ended up doing that uh, right at the end of episode 100, right after we had wrapped filming. I just sprung it on it right there in the front of the stage because that was cheaper. (laughs) 
And you know how much she loves surprises like that. Well, oh, yeah, okay. So, I mean, but okay, but here's the thing though. It's like, I, I, first of all, it's not like, like I don't have a hot air balloon, right? Like most, that's not a thing that's very, it's, a, it's much easier to get an Uber than it is to get a hot air balloon ride. Yeah. And, not uh, quite and as so, romantic. So I had looked it up and there was a company that offered hot air balloon rides um, down in Franklin, Tennessee. It's only like 30 minutes away. Um, but Jesus Christ, man. Like, yeah, so, ain't cheap. Well, like they, they kind of have like regularly scheduled times where they'll get all the balloons out and every, like, you know, there'll be lines of people forming, but it's not, pri- it's not private. Like you don't, if you want to schedule a ride, like you say, I have a particular day and time that I would like to go and it's not going to be a basket full of dick shitters. <laughs> it's going to be. It's going to, it's going to be me and my fiance and the one dick shitter who right. operates the device. Yeah. A little that bit was, it's going to be like a thousand dollars or something. Wow. It's like, like if, if riding in a hot air balloon is rivaling the price of the engagement right. ring, then, then just, I might as well just buy her a bigger rock. Right. I mean, exactly. that's probably like, I'll, I'll let you answer this. If you had the choice between getting an engagement ring in a hot air balloon or just getting a, a much nicer engagement ring, <laughs> which one would you have chosen? I'll, I'll go with the, the ring, but I probably would actually like the hot air balloon. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's romantic. You're, you are really the, a good boyfriend. I'm just the to... only, the only thing that people on this program can afford is the regularly scheduled hot air balloon rides with right? like 16 other people. That's, yeah. that's, and I, I just, you know, I didn't want to like get down on one knee and stuff in front of a bunch of people who are like, ugh. <laughs> in a little basket. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I just, I have to say that I think that that's a good tactic. If you're not sure the woman is going to say yes, then she will say yes temporarily at least because she wants to get back on the ground. Right. I mean, she can't just leave. Well, there's also the nightmare scenario of what happens if the ring goes over the side of the basket. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you have all the the bases to worry about. Yes. Like I like I've I've seen I've seen the cliche of you know you 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 take your loved one on onto the middle of a bridge somewhere and then the bridge goes in the river and or the, the <laughs> ring not not the bridge the ring goes in the, if the bridge goes in the river I just it's Good luck. it's just visit euthanasia.com. Um, so anyway, that was a little glimpse into my private world, and, and there you are. Uh, Celeste Annis writes, Dear Alan Sherry, what kind of cheese? This is, now, we're, now we're getting to the good questions. Leave it to Celeste Ooh. to give us to the good questions. Yeah. What kind of cheese do you prefer on a cheeseburger? Hmm. It depends on the kind of burger, I think. But usually oh. cheddar. Mm-hmm. But like sometimes you like a fancy cheese on a fancy burger and it's really good. What's what's a fancy cheese for a fancy burger? Um, Like some Gouda or something or some fancy French cheese. I don't blue cheese. I've had blue cheese on a burger before, like a black and blue burger. That's good. You, you back the blue. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you know me. I'm all about it. I'm behind so, the. So unfortunately, Sherry's incorrect, because as you know, I, I am the king of the food quizzes around here. And so cheddar is acceptable. I'll tell you what's never acceptable is American cheese. If you're going to put a slice of craft on my burger, yes. just throw the burger in the trash for God's sake. Why cook the meat even? <laughs> um, cheddar for just a generic burger 
if you're if you're specifically having a burger and you want a little bit more spice than like like if you're gonna have some salsa or something like that, then you should have pepper jack. Yeah, on the burger. Sriracha. Um, there's a sriracha cheese that's real good. <laughs> I just I just noticed the eye thing you did right there. I'm like, now we're now we're talking. We're we're on. We're we're in. Now we're having a pri- a glimpse into the private world of Sherry. Yes, we're, we're that's my love about, life eating. Yeah. I mean, uh, Andrew Avery writes, "Dear Alan and Sherry, is the wife of a hippie a Mrs. Hippie?" I can't even with with that. I can't even like. I feel like that that I feel like that one was beneath you, Andrew. Try harder. Do better. Yeah. You, you like the people on social media that they don't like some opinion you have, so right. they they say, "Be Do, better, Sherry." Be better. Yeah. I, yeah. Like. By the way, if you're someone who's ever like quoted at some demagogue and said, "Hey, be better," they no one cares or respects you. No one thinks uh, anything of you. I, I I don't know why this. You, you, uh, you, Sherry, you've been on the show enough times. No, I go on goat trails. You know what I think makes you one of the least respectful people. Like as in as in no one respects you. You're you mean nothing. Who me? Do you, do you, have you ever seen the people that like someone says a thing? And some person, some celebrity or demagogue you subscribe to doesn't believe that thing. So they tag them. Like if I were to say, um, you know, people who wear white sweaters are dumb. And then someone else tags at Sherry Voluntary. Oh, like tattling. Like I'm a, yeah. I'm a tail on you. Like, did you see this? Sherry, would you like to comment? As, as if, <laughs> you wear as white if this sweaters. Is, as if that's their forum for discussion. It's kind of like the same thing of it's if it's my show page and you come on there and you like leave a link to your Etsy, then it's like no, that's getting deleted and you're getting banned from the show because we don't. That's not what we stupid. do here. This is it's not about you. <laughs> this is not about you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, last one. Uh, Jonathan Carranza writes, "Dear Alan and Sherry." Uh, why hasn't Blake accepted my friend request yet? Um, We'll get to that later in the show. (laughs) We'll get to that uh, later in the program. Until then, we're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. All right. There's, there's just no avoiding it. All Everything in the news stemming from the, the January 6th rally, <laughs> riot, <Revolt>. insurrection, <laughs> coup, coup attempt, y'all. There was a coup attempt, apparently. I didn't Uh, see one. But stemming from that, everyone's talking about social media censorship, which is certainly not a news subject, but a lot of the major social media giants are doubling down. We're going to take a look from an article from EFF uh, that is titled, Beyond Platforms, Private Censorship, Parlor, and the Stack. Uh, This has been contributed to by Jillian York, Corian McSherry, and Danny O'Brien. I like people with the name O something. Yeah, me too. It's just, or Mac. It's just, 
from Electronic Foundier, uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation. Last week, following riots that saw supporters of President Trump breach and sack parts of the Capitol building, even sack is a little out there, Facebook and Twitter made the decision to give the president the boot. That was notable enough, given that both companies had previously treated the president, like other political leaders, as largely exempt from content moderation rules. Many of the president's followers responded by moving to Parler. By the way, we were, we, I say were, we were on Parler as well and actually had a fair amount of, uh, of, uh, reach and communication over there. Uh, were being the key word there. This week, the response has taken a new turn. Infrastructure companies, much closer to the bottom of the technical quote stack, including Amazon Web Services and Google's Android and Apple's iOS app stores, decided to cut off service, not just to an individual, but to an entire platform. Parler has so far struggled to return online. By the way, it's, it's offline now. Uh, partly through errors of its own making, but also because the lower down the technical stack, the harder it is to find alternatives or re-implement what capabilities the internet has taken for granted. Whatever you think of Parler, these decisions should give you pause. Private companies have strong legal rights under U.S. law to refuse to host or support speech they don't like, but that refusal carries different risks when a group of companies come together to ensure that certain speech or speakers are effectively taken offline. So we'll, we'll take a pause right there, uh, bring Sherry voluntary back in. So, so Sherry, yeah. why aren't we, why aren't we communicating on Facebook right now, buddy? Because I have been banned for 30 days. Um, I'm told 30 days. I think they're going to nuke me though, honestly. So you're, so you're afraid the end is nigh. Sherry voluntary. I am. You know, I actually did some research. I went on and found where they they list all of your grievances, you know, every time that you've been had a mm-hmm. problem. They don't they 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 didn't tell me what I had done this time and they didn't even it's not on the list. Like there's no mm-hmm. list. The last one was something they actually told me I did back in October. That was my last 30-day ban. So that was the the one the complex entities, which I didn't do anything for that either. So, I think they're just going to nuke me. Yeah. So, so Sherry has had the same issue. Uh, one, one of the gentlemen who actually helps run our social media ran into the same thing on his, on his, uh, personal profile, which is, uh, getting a notification that you, you have had certain of your privileges on Facebook revoked, um, specifically talking about Facebook at the moment, but it, it applies to Twitter and elsewhere. Um, but it specifically says a notification and it reads due to, you know, a, a repeated violations right. of community standards in the past. If such a violation occurred, then what, what would happen is, is you would get a little like screenshot, right. That would show you, yes. um, what, what, what the thing was, what the post was that kind of got you into trouble. Um, you know, if, if, the, if that thing is going to be taken down, right? Like, right. like we, like we removed this, you said the thing and we removed the thing. Right. But the most recent, uh, wave of bans from Twitter, Facebook, whatever, they don't do that anymore. No. And, and that comes kind of with its, its, its own sort of separate issue, which is if, if I post a thing and I don't believe that this is a violation of your platform's quote community standards and you say it is, but you don't tell me what the thing was or what standard it violated, then a, if, if 
if we're purely operating in good faith, we know that these companies are not operating in good right. faith. Well, let's say hypothetically, if we're operating in good faith, then you would communicate to me what the problem is. It's sort of the same principle as, as the, the, the right of the accused to face their accuser yes. and, and to know what, what charges you face in a court of law. B- because if you genuinely um, are, were apologetic for that or, or you, didn't, you didn't understand that there was a problem, you would want to know what the problem was. Yes. If, you, if you had a multi-million dollar business that used a Facebook page to advertise and that page ran a risk of being deplatformed, well, this, this, that would seriously affect you financially, right? Right. So you would want to make sure that you were doing things above board by their terms of service. Mm-hmm. If they don't properly identify those things, then there's really no recourse for you. But I'm willing to bet, and I'll turn this back over to you. I bet there was no little button on there for you to have any recourse at all, was there? Not one. And and they used to have that. You know, they used to say, well, if you'd like us to review it, at least. I mean, it wasn't a good process, but at least there was something. Now there's not even anything. It just says, this is, you are a person that we don't like because it's not about what we posted. It's about who we are. That's the thing. It's, It's no longer about them controlling you through the community standards. They're just telling you that they don't think that you should be allowed to have a voice in any conversation that goes on in the public forum because we're so yeah. terrible. Well, and I'm, I'm going to read this next section of the article here, then I'm going to get into the big C word uh, being collusion. <laughs> no. The free speech stack, AKA free speech choke points. To see the implications of censorship choices by deeper stack companies, let's back up for a minute. As researcher Joan Donovan puts it, at every level of the tech stack, corporations are placed in positions to make value judgments regarding the legitimacy of content, including who should have access and when and how. And the decisions made by companies at varying layers of the stack are bound to have different impacts on free expression. At the top of the stack are services like Facebook, Reddit, or Twitter. Platforms whose decisions about who to serve or what to allow are comparatively visible, uh, though still far from opaque to most users. Their responses can be comparatively targeted to specific users and content, and most importantly, do not cut off as many alternatives. For instance, a discussion forum lies close to the top of the stack. If you're booted from such a platform, there are other venues in which you can exercise your speech. These are the sites and services that all users, both content creators and content consumers, which is this program, interact with most directly. Aha! They are also the places where people think of when they think of the content, i.e., I saw that on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Users are often required to have individual accounts or advantaged if they do. Users may also specifically seek out the sites for their content. The closer to the end user, the more likely it is that sites will have more developed and apparent uh, curatorial and editorial policies and practices, their, quote, signature styles. And users typically have an avenue, flawed as it may be, to communicate directly with the service. So I want to kind of get to the collusion end of things. When Mark Zuckerberg last testified in front of Congress... Uh, they had specifically asked him, well, let's talk a little bit about the alleged uh, targeting of specific voices on political grounds, which is, which is yes. really kind of the crux of this whole conversation. It's, it's the crux of the conversation as, as it pertains to Trump, but of course, we don't really care about Trump. It's, this is for all of us. Mm-hmm. Is Mark Zuckerberg said that that doesn't happen. 
Facebook <laughs> and Twitter don't communicate. They don't communicate with Amazon. They don't communicate with Google. They don't communicate with Apple. That these different, these different media conglomerates, if you will, don't collude with one another to specifically target specific actors in, in the space. Because that would be collusion, and that kind of opens up a whole other can of worms about the, the ethics and legality of how things have gone down. But you might recall, many, many months ago now, it might have been more than a year ago now at this point, do you remember, Sherry, all the way back when Alex Jones what, ran afoul sure of do. all the media giants? Do you remember when Alex Jones was effectively silenced from Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, um, he was no longer getting his hosting, uh, via apps on, you know, Apple right. or Google. You couldn't find him in search, uh, payment processing, which we haven't even gotten to that yet. Um, financial institutions, PayPal, Spotify, any type of platform where he could be, uh, uh, Patreon. I, I think all of those things for him got suspended. Yes. Yep. And it all happened at roughly the same time on the same morning or afternoon. Exactly. It's just co-winky-dink. <laughs> just a coincidence. And yeah. sure enough, the exact same thing happened more or less to Donald Trump and more or less to Parler. A lot of these different platforms all decided at roughly the same time, at roughly the same day, right. at roughly the even same time of day that we were not going to list their app if we're an app listing service, if we're Android or, or iPhone. Um, I believe, I believe that their service was hosted on Amazon, but there's only so many major hosting services that have the server power right. to host a social media platform. All, uh, so Amazon uh, re- revoked their hosting and other major hosting services have, have refused to pick them up. Um, as, as of this recording, I don't think they have a home yet. Um, and then, of course, you have the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world, which one could say are perhaps direct competitors to Parler. And hmm. of course, they certainly have a invested self-interest to not see their, <laughs> their, their competitor brother in arms getting any slack. Hmm. Um, that I, certainly sounds like collusion to me, Sherry. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think there was even one in between Alex Jones and this latest one, when like a uh, free thought project and police, the police and all those things got Dot D sure, platform. Yeah. So that's that's three times that this astronomical coincidence has happened amongst the major tech companies. What a world. <laughs> I'm no mathematician, as you know, but even I can see that that's a little far fetched. Uh, but but the government like the whole thing was political theater to even interview Mark Zuckerberg in the first place. Right. Because they they know that they're all part of it together. And and so. They, it, it was just theater for them to have him and act like they're actually concerned about these things, you know, and they want to, they want to make it better. And it's all, it's all BS. They don't. Yeah. So in, in, here's the thing too, the, the last section I'm going to mention in this article before we move on is that they, they talk about infrastructure takedowns are equally, if not more likely to silence marginalized voices. Mm-hmm. You know, look, these, these, let's call a spade a spade, right? The, the Biden campaign has nothing to fear from yes. social media and online censorship. And it's not, and it's not just because, well, that's because they're the good guys and they're not Nazis. <laughs> Cause every, because I feel like the, the, the blue pilled, just regular moron out there that gets all their news from CNN, mm-hmm. that type of person, when they see something like it's, it's the same attitude as 
when when you see police uh, right. inflicting violence upon someone, there's a class of people who their opinion when they see that is, well, they must have reason. Right. That guy must be a criminal. He must have done something wrong. The police right. must have good cause for their action. He I wouldn't just, have got shot if he hadn't run away. <laughs> I just refuse to believe that they could be in the wrong. Right. In the same way, there's, there's, a, there's a class of person out there, and I would frankly dare say it's the overwhelming majority of the public, if I could be so bold, mm-hmm. that that class of people, when they see uh, censorship of, uh, at any level, when they, when they see, and, and by the way, it goes all the way down to ISPs, mm-hmm. but f- folks, if, if a hosting service and an internet service provider says that they don't want you around, dude, you're out. You mm-hmm. are out. If you design a popular app, if you are a parlor and, and you can't get that app on these because the, because the app stores don't carry it, right. dude, your business is over. You're, it's gone. You are dead in the water. Yes. So there's a class of people out there that when they see that happen, they immediately think, well, it's because they're Nazis. I mean, right. they're, they're, they're silencing the Nazis because that's hate speech. That's hate speech and it, it, it invokes violent content. And so that's why, that's the reason why they're being censored. Right. And so, and, and so then I, I have no sympathy, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. feel for them and I'm not worried about the overarching ramifications of, of censorship in coming to America because, right. well, they're, they're just going after the bad guys. Would right. you say that that it's fair to say that probably north of two thirds, 80% more people that that's what they think. It's oh, like when you, easily. when you, exactly. It's a, a, a site being censored. It's the same thing as people driving, driving by a cop car who pulled someone over and the overwhelming majority of people driving by saying, ha, got them. Or I wonder what they did. Like, I like they I have just they calls. I know they, I know like that's, that's even more innocuous, right? Cause they don't even see it. Like, I wonder what they did. It, it's just already they're guilty. And uh, so I mean, already we're guilty. We talk about marginalized groups. I mean, voluntarists, mm-hmm. anarch- we're marginalized people. That's for sure. And, you know, clearly they want us unpersoned. So I think it's only a matter of time, honestly, unfortunately. So we're going to talk a little bit more about specifically, um, some of those marginalized groups and, and what that means for speech. But we're, we're going to bring that up by, by referencing the, ne- the article for the next segment. If you are one of the people out there that thinks, well, these policies are in place to stop um, hate speech, violent rhetoric. I mean, literal, literal neo-Nazis right. roam the streets and we're getting rid of them on social media. And that's what these policies are for. Um, you must think that Ron Paul is a Nazi because as Ron Paul says on Twitter, with no explanation other than repeatedly going against our community standards, Facebook has blocked me from managing my page. Never have we received notice of violating community standards in the past and nowhere is the offending post identified. Uh, sounds really familiar, doesn't it, Sherry? It sure does. <laughs> sure does. I'm with you, Ron Paul. Call me. Call me. We'll talk. I like I like how you're here to be my stooge for. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Right, yes. I, uh. So so we're going to talk a little bit more about um, whether or not the, 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 well, they're a private company excuse applies <laughs> and what that means for marginalized voices right after this break. Don't go away.
Welcome back to the show, everybody. <laughs> Thanks. A little late. Sorry. That, that, that was that was a bit more of a burp than it really was a hula, I think. <laughs> so fair enough. We're, we're still joined by Sherry Voluntary. Moving on. This is an article from our man himself, Dr. Ron Paul, titled, uh, how appropriately, The War on Terror Comes Home. Last week, massive social media purges, starting with President Trump's permanent ban from Twitter and other outlets, was shocking and chilling, particularly to those of us who value free expression and the free exchange of ideas. The justifications given for silencing of wide swaths of public opinion made no sense, and the process was anything but transparent. Nowhere in President Trump's two, quote, offending tweets, for example, was a call for violence expressed explicitly or implicitly. Mm -hmm. It was a classic example of sentence first, verdict later. Many Americans viewed this assault on social media accounts as a liberal or Democrat attack on conservatives and Republicans, but they're missing the point. The narrowing of allowable opinion in the virtual public square is no conspiracy against conservatives. As progressives like Glenn Greenwald have pointed out, this is a wider assault on any opinion that veers from the acceptable parameters of the mainstream elite, which is made up of both Democrats and Republicans. So as Ron Paul is a perfect example, you know, I I know that some people out there have kind of made the criticism that, well, Ron Paul... Ron Paul has in been no way has been supportive of Donald Trump. If you think that you're just, you're just being disingenuous, right. but he's, he's on his program on a number of times pointed out, just, just pointing out the hypocrisies of, well, this is the treatment this guy receives, even though he's the president of the United States and all leader of the free world, all that BS. But he, this is the treatment he's getting from the corporate media, from, from Congress, from whatever, from social media. But then you compare that to other political leaders who absolutely are not getting that treatment. You know, you think of political leaders, you think of the Cheneys of the world, you think of the Bushes, you think of the Clintons, you think of the Obamas, you think of people who have subjected the world to wars, to drone strikes, um, to, to indefinite detentions. You think of the, the constant renewal of the Patriot Act and NDAAs being signed over and over again. But those people have never been subjected to this type of censorship. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Right. I, I think it's really interesting, too, when you when you have world leaders like Angela Merkel <laughs> <laughs> defending free speech uh, and saying this is what's happening in the United States is not good. Like, you know, you've jumped off the cliff and you're going way wrong because Angela Merkel is not a friend to, you know, right leaning Republicans. <laughs> well, and so there's, there's a couple of things I, I, I really want to get at in this segment because I, I feel like that, you know, censorship is obviously what's on everyone's mind right now and just kind of this reaction, overreaction and, and the use of what happened back on January 6th as the impetus for more regulation, uh, the targeting of domestic terror, yada, yada, yada. And, but I want to make sure that our people don't miss the forest from the trees. And what I mean, and what I want to start off with is a, a common line that you'll hear used sometimes by our uh, ideological opponents, kind of as a sarcastic gotcha towards us, mm-hmm. but also sometimes by our own people who really, I really feel like are missing the point. Yes. And that is people that will say, but those are private companies <laughs> and private, and we believe in the free market and we believe fri- private companies can do whatever they want. Now, 
First of all, I, I just want to point out that, you know, we, we, li- we live in the era of lockdowns and social distancing and masks, and you have states all around the country telling businesses to close their doors. Right. Yet all of a sudden now, when it's affecting your opponent's free speech, all of a sudden they're private companies and can do whatever they want. Right. Imagine that. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Something I've mentioned on the program before is um, if, if you've never checked out Michael Rechtenwald and his work, you should. But he, he, does a, he, does, he has a really great presentation specifically talking about governmentalities. Mm. What a governmentality is by his definition is you think of, a, you think of w- what is genuinely fascism. You think of a partnership between, between the corporate interest and, and the public, the state, the government. And you, and you think of companies, in this case, you think of a Twitter and a Facebook. Now, Twitter and Facebook, um, they enjoy uh, certain monopoly rights. They, they enjoy certain protections from the state uh, in exchange for doing the state's bidding. So yes. here's the beautiful thing. Despite everything going on in the world, despite everything you see happening, despite all the calls for regulation, despite the... The, the fractured nature of the nation, basic bill of rights amendments are still popular. You know, free speech is still popular. That's a, that's a popular thing. It's a part of kind of the American ethos, right? Just mm-hmm. free speech and free expression. So, so yes, there's absolutely people who think that you should draw lines, but as a concept, it's still a very popular thing. And so if, if the state were to just come out tomorrow and say, well, we're just going to delete the first amendment from the constitution, that would upset a lot of people that would, that would create, that would create so much pushback. It would be such an unpopular move that it's, it's, it's not in their vested political interest to go that far. Right. However, the state absolutely does want to silence opposition. They want to silence dissident voices. So they have figured out this amazing way to have their cake and eat it too. And that is to farm out the responsibility of silencing dissident voices to social media, to Google, to Apple, to Amazon, uh, to Twitter, to Facebook. And so by, by, and, and, and by the way, they happily do so. Those companies happily do that for Leviathan in exchange for protections when they need it. And and we'll get to things like section 230 and whatnot here in a moment. But the point being is, is that when those private companies, first of all, I mean, from an economic standpoint, they're publicly traded companies, but when those quote private companies in the free market are doing the bidding for the state in exchange for contracts, for handouts, for monopoly protections, Mm -hmm. uh, for legal protections when, and if they require them, that doesn't, they're not private companies, they're governmentalities. And so they don't, I guess what I'm saying, and I'll, and I'll hand the floor back over to you, Sherry, for, for a comment is it when, when that, with that being the case, God, and, and I'm really speaking more to kind of our, our, our Liberty, Liberty folks at home that are listening to this guys, they don't, they don't deserve your excuse. They don't deserve right. you defending them as private companies. Right. I think um, I heard someone say that, you know, this has to be viewed through the lens of the cathedral. And I think that's really important to remember is that these people, they're they're not private companies. I mean, once you 
you accept money from the state, you do their bidding, you you create back doors to spy on people, um, and you, you do all these things to create avenues for them to prey on the populace, then you're not a private company anymore. You're a collaborator with oppression. You're a collaborator with tyranny. And so I've, I've always been of the opinion that you don't like if you're going to be private, you have to be private and you can't accept government money and all these other things um, like Facebook and all the platforms did. Um, and, and then say that, you know, you're 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 private and you take on all this um, responsibility and, you know, maybe you'll fail or maybe you won't. That that doesn't happen with them. So I, I, I really think that that's a, a really important point to make that we have to as you know, people who care about freedom and and are principled and and believe in property rights, that what you're saying about governmentalities is absolutely true. And it really has to be understood that the difference is, is that, you know, it's one thing for a business that has to be licensed by the state or whatever, you know, they 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 might support the state in some way by by participating in it. But it's a whole other thing to really uh, buttress and make the state's power stronger over the individual and what they can do and can't do. So th- that, that kind of brings me to what I want to cl- conclude with today, which is it's, it's, it's kind of like, this is going to become a regular recurring thing for us. It's, it's another reason why I'm an anarchist. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit, and we've talked about this on the show before, about the myth of the rule of law. And when we talked about it on the show before, we talked about Uh, federalism when it's convenient and supremacy when it's not. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, the, the, the people that are going out there trumpeting the constitution, and I do have one right here on the desk, even though it's a napkin, um, (laughs) there's, there's, there's still a lot of people that, that believe in it. And while I certainly don't, you, you could make the argument that, well, from a political and legal standpoint, the, the, the nation as it exists is still founded on the premise of the rule of law and the constitution. Yeah. Um, and so if you are one of those people, if you're an originalist, if you're a federalist, if you believe in republicanism as a form of government, not the party, then, then you believe in the separation of powers. You believe in the individual states uh, deciding for themselves the overwhelming majority of issues and only a, a clear and defined amount of power that exists at the federal level for which the federal judiciary, Congress can, and president can decide. But the thing is, is that it's, it's a losing game in my opinion, to, to frame your arguments that way. And to, I mean, frankly, to just believe in the constitution. And the reason why it's a losing argument is because you will be prefacing all of your arguments on, well, what I think be damned, I'm going to, I'm going to uphold the constitution. I'm running for office and I swear to uphold the constitution. (laughs) The problem is, is that your opponents don't. So you, Mr. Great and principled and virtuous person. And and, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not belittling that person. You know, Thomas Massey is someone I would consider to be one of, I mean, you can count on one hand, one of the reasonably decent politicians in Washington. And he's absolutely a principled constitutionalist. But what does that get you is what I'm getting at. You at at the, uh, as an individual, (laughs) as an individual, (laughs) what does that get you? So when, when you vote, when you proposed legislation, when, when you live your life based on this idea of federalism, that's all well and good. 
but when your opponents don't, what that means is, is that if they oppose something that you are for, then, and they make a constitutional argument for their side, then, then that may sway you or that may ultimately defeat you as that, well, you know, that I, I understand that constitutionally they say X and so I can't have Y. Mm-hmm. But when they want something that is absolutely constitutional, they don't, they have no use for federalism. They have no use for the, they'll just go right yes. back to, well, you know, supremacy, the law of the land, yada, yada, yada. Right. And, and, and where that leads us to today is I want, is section 230. So section 230 for people that aren't aware of that, it's, it's, it's the little piece of regulatory nonsense that just basically says that, you know, major platforms like a Facebook, like a YouTube, uh, cannot be held legally liable for everything that individuals like, say, a dangerous Sherry Voluntary or, or, or a Nazi like Ron Paul right. might post on their platform. <laughs> now, Donald Trump, because he obviously has angst against platforms like Twitter and Facebook, uh, Donald Trump, and, and, and I believe mistakenly, wanted to go after Section 230. He wanted to either abolish 230 altogether or he wanted to amend it in such a way that someone like himself, who, who he felt was being unfairly censored, or that those platforms were targeting specific speech, specific political groups, yes. whatever, that they could then be sued. They could be sued for these things. They would no longer enjoy those protections that we discussed earlier that make them governmental. The, the other side of that argument is, is that, well, if, if those platforms enjoy those protections now, then they're more likely to allow a variety of content on their platform because they can say, well, if that individual says X and we don't agree with X, well, that's their business, not ours. If they get in trouble, we're not in trouble. Section 230 says that if you get rid of section 230, on the one hand, Sherry Voluntary could sue Facebook and say, well, Facebook is destroying my brand and attacking my business because they've, they've banned me or throttled my page. And that, and that goes against, you know, their terms of service. I'm going to sue them. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if they, if they're not enjoying the protections they enjoy, then they would, they would have had every incentive to ban you a long time ago. That, that the argument, the argument that that side makes is, Well, without Section 230, all of these platforms are going to be that much more likely to target dissonant voices because anything that that can or will be labeled as as hate speech, as inappropriate, um, as something that that is harmful to to the rest of their user base, whatever legalese you want to use, they'll delete it. And if they and if they run the risk of being sued because some random user posted some random violent or hateful thing then they're going to be moderating content that much harder, not yes. lesser. The problem is, and this is why it gets back to the myth of the rule of law, is that, but if they're enjoying those protections now, which means in theory they would be moderating less, in theory mm-hmm. they, should, they shouldn't, who cares about should and would, shoulda, woulda, coulda, they shouldn't be going against marginalized voices but they are. They're doing that right now. They're doing that right now with section 230 as it exists. So in the same way as federalism when it's convenient and supremacy when it isn't, the myth of the rule of law as it pertains to section 230 is, is that if they can invoke section 230 to protect one of their governmentalities from being sued by the plebs, then they will invoke it. 
But if they also want to ignore section 230 and heavily moderate content and go after and, and suspend people's right of free expression and free speech, they'll do that too. Right. Because they don't, when you write the rules, you don't have to obey them. The person who's writing the rules doesn't have to obey the rules. We've all heard the phrase rules for thee and not for me. Yes. That another way of summing up that cliche is the myth of the rule of law. And that is just one more reason why I'm an anarchist. Great. So on that note, we're going to wrap up here. We're going to say goodbye to Sherry voluntary Sherry. So where can people follow you now? I'm on Twitter for the time being at the moment. Um, yes. That probably won't as, last long. As of this recording. Yeah. yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, Instagram, probably get booted from there too at float. I'm on float. Mm-hmm. Um, MeWe, Minds, and someone is making me a server on Liberdon, I think, or Mastodon or something. So maybe there. <laughs> I don't know how to use it yet. So maybe there, that was quite the boomer answer. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? You know me. (laughs) Do you you have a final thought before we go? Yeah. I mean, I've often described it, what you were just talking about law as a a spider's web and the, the spider being the politician and all the cronies that are involved in those making those laws. And the web is to catch you. The spider can navigate the web and knows all the ins and outs. It's not for the spider. The spiders don't get caught in webs you get caught in the web. And so I uh, just always remember that, that that's, that's what they want to do. And if the, if the constitution is a contract, they tell us that all the time, it's the consent of the governed, right? If that's a contract, it's been breached yeah. so many times on the other side that it is null and void at this point. So yeah. they, it, it's just a useful tool because they've internalized that into people through their school system. I mean, you know, we could go mm-hmm. on, but, but that's, it's, I think it's we've, worthless. I think- I think we've learned there's that many more things that are unfit to exist. (laughs) Correct. I hope that doesn't get me banned. Guys, we actually have an important programming note to share with you in today's finale. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com at TV. 
Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash TV. But you don't have to do any of that. You can do all that as well as check out the link to the live show this year, March 20th, at alanmosley.tv. That is the web address. Uh, so guys, a really quick important note before we go. Um, you've probably noticed the last couple of weeks that the number one producer in late night, Blake Osborne, has not been here. Um, I want to be straight with you. So this has been a crazy last year. Um, you had the Modelo virus and the associated government response, the lockdowns, the mandates, and us here, because Blake and I actually work together when we're not doing a podcast, is, you know, we lost a good 60-80% of our income this last year from cancellations, from having the police knock on our door and tell us, hey, we need to make sure you're not open. Um, So between that and then now with the censorship with the potential Patriot Act 2.0 coming down our way when when Biden is inaugurated. With the fear, I think, if you are someone who has commercial interests on social media, that if 90% plus of your business goes through social media and you have a risk of losing that because you're connected to something that says or does the wrong thing, um, these are very scary times and this has been a rough last year for us. So Blake is actually going to be leaving the program. So Blake, and and we're still friends. We haven't had a falling out. He's still going to be behind the scenes helping out and doing things here or there. But uh, his time on It's Too Late with Alan Mosley has come to an end. So I I want everybody to, uh, you know, wish Blake well. Don't go sending him a bunch of messages. It's, It's not a big personal thing. But he has to take a step away from the show because, frankly, he's concerned about Uh, the message and the censorship and he doesn't want to wake up one day and find that his business accounts and his payment processing has disappeared. So we wish Blake the absolute best. Again, Blake and I are still working together, still hanging out, but Blake will not be on the program anymore. Um, We're still going to be here every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. That's not going to go away. Uh, The live event's still going to be taking place here, and Blake will be here. So if you really want to visit with Blake and say hello and let him know what you think about his time on the program, you can do so live in person then. Um, But I don't know what we're going to do in terms of... uh, having a sidekick, a producer. I probably will want to find a replacement, but that might take several weeks or even months. But the show's not going away. We're still going to be here doing the exact same stuff that we do. Nothing else has changed. And we're all still help, help, healthy and happy. Just Blake won't be on the program anymore. So guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of It's Too Late, and we will see you next week.